Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello, friends, and welcome to this special show today. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week, we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. We're living through the greatest transformation in all of human history. 2020 ushered in a global pandemic and became a radically disruptive evolutionary driver. 2020 was also the release of the book, Our Moment of Choice, Evolutionary Visions and Hope for the Future. Now, a few years later, as the release of the paperback comes out, I'm wondering what have we learned? Where are we in 2022? And where do we go from here? What better guest to have this conversation with than a world-renowned evolution biologist? I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your heart and mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest, Dr. Elizabeth Satoris is an internationally known evolution biologist and futurist, speaking on all five continents, teaching living economies and how to navigate our perfect storm of crises. After a postdoctoral fellowship at the American Museum of Natural History, she taught at MIT, the University of Massachusetts, contributed to the Nova Horizon TV series, and became a fellow of the World Business Academy with an honorary chair in living economies. She is a fellow of the Findhorn Foundation, and Dr. Satoris is a co-founder of the Worldwide Indigenous Science Network and of Rising Women, Rising World. She's the author of Earth Dance, Living Systems in Evolution, A Walk Through Time, From Stardust to Us, and co-author of Biology Revisioned. Her latest book is Gaia's Dance, The Story of Earth and Us. And Dr. Satoris, I am so happy to have you here. Welcome back to the show. It's lovely to be here with you again, Julie, and aloha to our audience from from Hawaii. Mm, aloha, aloha. Thank you. You know, I, I've had this traditional first question on the show and you've answered it before, but in this new context of where we're at post-pandemic, I just got a, um, a notice today of an assisted living place that says, hey, we're no longer needing masks and you don't have to be screened when you come in. And so it feels like even some of the health care facilities are opening up. So before we jump into our moment of choice, I'm wondering if you could answer, what does all things connected mean to us now in this post-pandemic world? Well, I sure hope it means that we can go back to the kind of connectedness we have before and perhaps uh, even more of it now that we've been deprived of a lot of our connectedness for uh, such a long time. Uh, This was a a strange interlude on our whole planet, 
with so many people having to keep distances away from each other and wear masks while even just talking to each other and all of these things. So at least now uh, some some semblance of that old connectedness will come back with, with a deeper appreciation of what it meant for us to be able to hug each other and and uh, you know, be normal human beings in a social setting because we are not a bunch of individuals. We are a community. <laughs> mm. That very answer is an important piece that I hope we can weave through the rest of this conversation of of really being community and what does that mean. So let's let's begin with our moment of choice. I'm just wondering. What does that literally mean to you today? This is a moment of choice. And here we are in 2022. What does it mean today? Well, it's interesting, Julie, because for me, uh, as an evolution biologist and working with the linear timeline of the physical world, I'm really very much aware of something that science pays so little attention to, which is that it is always now. So our moment of choice is always now. It's right here and now. We have a choice at every moment of our lives, don't we? That's brilliant. (laughs) You know, I had an experience. I'm just going to do a little side trek here, Elizabeth, off of my list of questions, because I think this is an important um, topic that really deserves some time and some pause here. Because in 2021, I got covid And um, it was after our last show, so I haven't talked to you about it, but I got COVID and had 20, or not 20, 12 days of fever. And and I was okay, and I survived. It, It was okay. But the transformative space of this fever had me going from this, first of all, it was like, oh, good, I'm sick. I'll get a lot of work done. And then it was like, oh, I'm really sick. I'm not going to get any work done. And then there was this urgency of, I'm so sick. I got to get back to normal. I've got to get back to this list of things to do, which just seemed like this huge mountain, Elizabeth. It was like, oh my gosh, I got to get back to it. And then all of a sudden, it was like, there is no thing to go back to. There is no nothing, time, space, the, a whole reorientation into this now moment that you speak of. It was like, I'm in this eternal moment of now, and I wrote about it and dreamt about it and was just shown a whole different way of being in relationship with time, space in this new kind of paradigm here. So can you speak more about this moment of now? It is this eternal moment of now and now and now. And how do we how do we teach that to listeners? Well, Julie, it's interesting. I had to learn it in somewhat the same way. I didn't get COVID, but uh, I did have a hip replacement and uh, I had to come back and, and do lots of uh, physical therapy and more rest and be told I can't spend time at the computer and all that <laughs> Oh my, what will I do with all that email piling up every day and all these things to do, right? So I went through the same experience from a different perspective slightly. And uh, I really understand it. 
And I this this is a very important issue to me too that that, that this nowness because we are so used to remembering the past in order to have our grudges and judgments and all that stuff you know that we do from things that are actually already in the past and uh, and we and and then all that planning that we have to do all the time to go to the future and for all that we've been taught by all the spiritual teachers to meditate and to be in the now, we have real trouble living in the now. Uh, so it, it's a very important issue. And I mentioned that that Western science, which I was trained in and which most of us think as science, the science, how can there be any other science? Uh, but I've spent a lot of time studying the other sciences of the planet, which look at the same universe from different perspectives. And, uh, and, and so Western science not only ignores the fact that it is always now, but it also ignores the fact that nothing we experience is outside of our own consciousness and that each of us have a unique perspective on a whole conscious universe from who we individually are. So within that whole, we are, we are there with a perspective that can encompass the whole universe, but from this unique meanness or, you know, this one soul, this one's mind-body-soul uh, has a perspective that no other mind-body-soul does. So how can these two very important matters of it's always now and everything in our whole universe and experience of life is coming through our consciousness? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that unique perspective is another important part of this conversation. So I just want to kind of bring this into this conscious universe that you're talking about, because this is the evolution of consciousness. We're waking up to this idea that that we are consciousness, right? Having this experience and it's coming through this uniqueness. So as a foundation, um, I'd love to also bring the idea, the discussion of living systems in evolution into this because, um, again, through my unique perspective, when we understand the impulse of evolution and how living systems live and grow and evolve, we can almost relax into the process and take responsibility for the care of all life. It kind of shifts our way of navigating in this world. So can you talk a little more about living systems in evolution? Yes, I would love to. And uh, let me say first that you brought up that word caring, which I think is the best outcome of this this uh, COVID interlude, is that we, we elevated caregivers to heroic status. And that is a very important matter. It's uh, so different from warriors and, and uh, national leaders and kings and all that as the the heroes right wow uh, that's a yeah because mm. we are moving as you say from uh, a, a very um me centered to we centered uh way of looking at things and a very much a way of going out of our long uh, adolescence in in acquisition and expansion economies and all of that kind of uh, competitive stuff that uh, we're moving into this caring and sharing for each other community way of looking at it. 
And historically, we've been prevented from seeing the positive of the word community because we were taught to hate the word communism and all of these things that it still gets brought up over and over and over again. And it interferes with that beautiful word community. But in order to talk about living systems, I want to uh, uh, remind you of my keyboard model of the whole universe and of ourselves within it. And that is that the one thing that kind of unites all of the different sciences, including quantum science and the more uh, standard model of physics, is that scientists all seem to agree that the universe is made up of vibrations somehow. And vibrations, of course, can be modeled as a keyboard, as a long string of notes that you move up and down this, the frequencies of the vibrations. So if you imagine yourself at a keyboard that's infinitely long at both ends and you put matter in the low keys and then electromagnetic energy into the mid-range of the keys and then remember that Einstein told us that the music is transposable up and down between matter and energy, that matter is energy and energy is matter. Uh, but some of vibrations are slower and some are faster. And as you move up the keyboard, you come into the less and less physical, rare uh, vibrations of mind and spirit and consciousness as a whole universe, a living consciousness universe. So all of the frequencies are within what I see as a living consciousness that is the whole universe. So Western science started at the matter end of the keyboard to derive this whole universe. But it decided that reality, to, in order to be real, something had to be measurable. What does that mean? It has to be measurable with some kind of an instrument. What is an instrument? It's a material thing, right? So, <laughs> so it gets stuck because it gets up to where it can measure the world of matter and aspects of, of material things and parts of electromagnetic energy, and then it fizzles out because its, its instruments can't reach higher. Whereas the Eastern sciences, such as Taoism and Vedic science and uh, many indigenous sciences, started at the other end of the keyboard in cosmic consciousness and derived the whole keyboard by slowing it down and getting it down through into the physical. So think of, for example, we, uh, as a little aside, you know, we see UFOs in the sky. Some people see UFOs and report that they suddenly disappear. What happened? Well, in my view of things, they slid up the keyboard. They slid up from being material to being non-material where you can't see them. And that's a really advanced civilization if it can do that with its, with its spaceships, its material can turn into the non-material. However, many people have also had the experience of going from their physical bodies into their uh, what we call astral bodies, which is just the upper end of the keyboard you are made of. So it's very important to understand this because we talk so much, for example, of how we have to integrate science and spirituality. And I say, look at the keyboard and ask yourself, why did we ever take them apart? Why does they have, they have to be in different boxes when they're part of the whole keyboard? 
And so whatever we talk about as our experience, our experience is not just in this physical three-dimensional world, it is also in that non-physical world, in our dreams, in our thinking, in our feelings, and uh, you know, there are aspects of feeling that come into the range of measurement of physical instruments, but no physical instrument can measure everything about matter. It has to just abstract a few things uh, that it can measure and not get the whole thing. So we have to learn to love our own integral beings, our mind-body spirits. <laughs> wow. Does that make sense it, as a sort of uh, prelude to how do living systems work? Because all of them are playing on all these keys. <laughs> Yes, I love that. And thank you for reminding us of the keyboard model and and really the science and spirituality is is you're also I'm I'm seeing the lower vibrational space of matter moving up into that spiritual ethereal yeah, expression here and it's a it's a really important piece of this story when we're talking about consciousness of you know some are vibrating at different parts of the keyboard and we're all moving and evolving as we age and mature is that correct individually we're moving and maturing and as a collective species we're moving and evolving and maturing yes because we we have denied ourselves the, the understanding of ourselves as mind body spirits for so long and so we're, we're re, regaining our understanding of what it is to be a whole being. And we have to be a little bit careful because uh, it's true. We, raising our vibrations to me means play more of the keyboard, not abandon the world of matter for the world of spirit, but yeah. play more of the whole keyboard. Because the more of it you play, the more of it you will start getting what has to be done on this physical earth made of physical beings and real physical challenges now that we've changed the whole climate and things of that kind right right so so this does bring in an important part of the story here it is about the earth and our relationship with it as as part of one whole living system we can't not look at the earth we've seen ourselves as separate help us understand this interconnected interdependent one planetary living system you wrote earth is a gorgeous intelligent living planet do you see our species as cells within the planetary body that's one metaphor that works um and, or we can be you know different uh nerve cells or uh there there are lots of ways to look at that but i think the important thing about it is that that we have to understand the, the whole earth as a living vibrating entity that itself plays this whole keyboard. And mm. um, there are so many things that, that we have forgotten and now the, the ever more uh, careful attention to how indigenous people saw the, themselves in relation to the world. You know, in our, in our uh, Western society, our, our dictionaries, I found, started were defining nature as something that surrounds humans, not that we're an integral part of, but something that's that's around us, right? And so we saw it as a set of resources that we could exploit rather than 
thinking ecosystems. I try to, to teach people, don't use that word environment because it means what's around you. Use the word ecosystem because you're a part of it. And it's only when we get that we're a part of it that we really understand the caring and sharing angle that we cannot just do linear economies that take things and consume what we can and then toss it all into the bin in a linear way. And then the, our refuse is piling up and, and toxifying nature. We're the only species that doesn't recycle the way the others do, you know, and uh, it's it's a big problem for us, and and one of the problems we face is disease epidemics because we put ourselves into cities without recycling and made real messes until we invented plumbing and soap and water and some of those good things. <laughs> mm. Well, this is one of the important pieces that your voice in this book, our moment of choice, um, brings. I think that this this idea of us growing up as a species is really important here. So the understanding of people and uh, how do I, how do I say this? I think this is about the evolution of consciousness and conscious evolution. There's a couple things that are important in this and you do talk about the butterfly story. So I'm going to ask you to talk about the caterpillar and butterfly in just one moment right after this. But first, your observation, and you just alluded to this, is is as you've observed all these species on the planet, you've studied this for years and years, you say that all species who have matured from a youthful stage of acquisition and expansion and feisty competition, we get to a phase that's too energy expensive. And that's when we transfer, transition to early adulthood with a more efficient and sustainable cooperative phase. So I, I quote you, and I say this to audiences and listeners and, and clients all the time, that now is our time to build cooperative communities that care for all life. And then I add, and future generations. So talk about building these cooperative communities that care for all life. That's this evolutionary stage that we're entering. Absolutely. It is the um, it is the evolutionary stage that we're in. We're coming out of this 6,000-year phase of, of empire building, which is this expansion economy. Use the resources and build more and more stuff in the world and have top-down authoritarian kinds of social political systems. And But when we look at the history of the world, we see that many indigenous cultures actually went through that cycle and matured into the cooperative stage. And uh, so we have some role models to look at, and I'm especially fond of the Haudenosaunee culture because I grew up on their territory on the eastern coast of the United States. And we call them the Iroquois. <laughs> That's the name that the settlers imposed on them. And they had what I believe was the only true democracy that's ever been practiced on the on the earth because it was really inclusive of women and children and nature and the future and all of those important things. So we could go into that kind of role modeling for us or we can just talk about how, hey, our own bodies were an expansion economy up to adolescence and then 
we didn't stop growing. We didn't continue to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Our cells had to move into a cooperative phase uh, with the same number of cells, basically, for all that they reproduce themselves. And so we have a lot of, of things that are right there in, our, in front of us. We also have in front of us the fact that we live in cities by the millions. And as Tamsin Woolley Barker has pointed out, we are one of the very few social species, true social species, meaning the ones that live by the millions together in communities. Four of them are insects and, and the other is, of all things, blind mole rats and humans. Most people don't even know about blind mole rats because they stay underground in their colonies of millions. But uh, we are a social species and we cooperate all day long living in, in these cities and even in the smaller communities. And that's been so, so ignored. We talk about our competition, our competition. We make tests in school, we rank each other. You know, all our lives we're, we're taught that we're on this competitive, uh, what, what was taken to be the real Darwinian mode of competition in order to evolve. And, uh, and it isn't the way nature is at all. Mm. That is a beautiful place to pause with so much to think about here. We're going to take a quick break. I'm here talking with Dr. Elizabeth Torres, and we're talking about our moment of choice and what what's going on now in 2022. I'm going to ask some really fun questions after the break, so please stay with us. We'll be right back. Just now, another kid dropped out of school. There's one every 20 seconds, over 200 kids an hour. That adds up to nearly 5,000 kids every school day. If we do nothing, 3.5 million kids won't receive a diploma over the next four years. But there is someone who can change that. And that someone is you. United Way knows that kids who have a caring adult in their life are more likely to make it. So make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because the path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Take the pledge to volunteer now at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Kelly Clarkson, and I've toured the country dozens of times, and there's one thing every state has in common. Childhood hunger. The sad truth is that 17 million kids don't know where their next meal is coming from, or if it's even coming at all. Yet there are billions of pounds of surplus food around the country at farms and warehouses that could help end this injustice. But all that food is useless if it doesn't get where it needs to go. That's why the Feeding America Nationwide Network of Food Banks gathers surplus food and gets it to hungry kids before it goes to waste. But they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. Find out how at feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're Feeding America. To help solve hunger in your community and to find your local food bank, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. 
back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. And on the leading edge of personal, social, and global transformation, I invite you to be a way shower, a change agent, and make connections that inspire and accelerate our collective awakening and planetary healing. Stay connected every week with my newsletter, where you'll find meaningful content, opportunities, and inspiration. You can sign up at juliecrawlemail.com. Again, that's juliecrawlemail.com, J-U-L-I-E-K-R-U-L-L, email.com. I'm here today with Dr. Elizabeth Satoris. You can find more of her work. She's got lots and lots of goodies there, and you can do that at satoris.com. It's S-A-H-T-O-U-R-I-S.com. Ooh, Elizabeth, that was so good. And right before the break, um, we were talking about this stage and the butterfly story. The caterpillar butterfly story is another good one that I mentioned. I don't want to skip over that because like your keyboard metaphor, this is a really important I think, metaphor that helps us understand the sometimes tumultuous, crazy, unrecognizable times that we're in, if we can really understand how you how you describe the, the caterpillar butterfly. Well, Julie, I got the metaphor from Nori Huddle and her beautiful little children's book just named Butterfly. And uh, the metaphor is that the caterpillar eats hundreds of times its weight in a single day. It's a, a real predator in that sense. It can chew up a whole milkweed plant and uh, in no time. And, and uh, then it, it gets so bloated from eating so much, consuming so much, that it goes to sleep and it uh, its skin hardens into a chrysalis. And then uh, these, these cells that we call imaginal cells, because... In biological terms, the incipient butterfly forming is called an imago, but it works well with our word imagination, right? That we are all imaginal cells that have come like stem cells out of the skin of the caterpillar where they have been stored for all its life and they begin to build something new. They join up with each other and they eventually build the whole butterfly as the caterpillar is it go, is, is in meltdown. And that's exactly what we're seeing today is that we're seeing a meltdown of the big systems. We're seeing this meltdown in terms of seeing that we can't continue to use fossil fuels up the way we have been and, uh, and that, that we've made a mess of things and that we have to learn to live more lightly on the earth like the butterfly. So uh, the caterpillar is imploding and dissolving, melting down on its own. We don't have to fight the caterpillar. We just have to work, think about building the butterfly. That's the important thing. But we need to learn from the caterpillar. We need to learn from this predatory economy that we've been part of, why we can't continue it, what kinds of problems it's caused, and what are our 
ways of adapting to the climate change, for instance, that's the big deal now. It is the very big deal. Only in the past few weeks have we seen things like a 70 degree increase in temperatures in the Arctic at the same seasonal time that things should have been the opposite in the Antarctic, but the, but the meltwet's going faster down there too. And when you see 70, not 17 or seven, but 70 degrees suddenly, you know that we are, have rounded that hockey stick bend on what we call the hockey stick curve, the exponential curve, which is the only piece of math I think everybody really needs to know about nowadays. Uh, so we could go into that if you want next, or uh, where do you want me to take this butterfly story? Wow. Well, I think that all of this is so important, but with this butterfly story where you were um, of saying our focus only needs to be on building the butterfly. I'm wondering if we can talk about that in the perspective of of all of the systems change from climate, like you're talking about, to all of our social systems, like banking and education and healthcare. What what you said that I think can relax our listeners into this positive shift of conscious evolution is that we don't have to focus on the breakdown. We literally can come together in those cooperative communities and begin to build the new. So how do we do that? Well, I think it's important for us to recognize how the caterpillar is fighting for its life at this point, because it's the caterpillar's job to fight for its life. And, you know, we don't we don't uh, kill off our adolescents. We expect them to move out of the feisty competition into mm-hmm. mature cooperation. Right. It's a natural process. However, the empire building that that uh, kind of gives meaning to the the old economy, the youthful economy, is not stopping yet. We have a whole new kind of global empire push that's going on in our world, and we need to recognize it for what it is. And it is a push to use our technologies uh, to digitize the entire world and to, as the World Economic Forum puts it, in the future, you will own nothing and you will be happy. And the way you they, they are working it through is uh, to have apps on your iPhones that control all your behavior, your income, what you do with it. Uh, everything will be leased to you. Your income will come as digital currency through your phone. Um, you won't have the burden of ownership. And the young people who have grown up on iPhones and, and who this looks good to them. And it's all uh, couched in the terms of the Millennium Development Goals and how we're going to raise everybody out of poverty. Uh, but what we miss is uh, what, you know, the Margaret Atwood uh, kinds of dystopian uh, things that can be done with this if you build a two-tiered society that then gives you social credits and in other words it's monitoring who you're with and and how you're spending your time and you have to be within a certain set of algorithmic algorithmically determined behaviors in order to get your income and be able to lease all these things that you want and the young people aren't asking if we own nothing who owns everything 
So for me, it's important to track things like Bill Gates becoming the greatest farmland owner in the world uh, at present, buying up all the farmland of the U.S. Why is that? We know he's going to use toxic chemicals in growing our food that way. We have to worry about big conglomerates like Bayer swallowing up Monsanto, making money toxifying our food with chemicals, uh, and then making more money selling us medical remedies when our immune systems fail us and we get ill. And we know that our immune systems are failing from our poor quality food, the, the way it's grown. So we have to understand all these things that are happening, why the, the overuse of fossil fuels led to climate change, and to get real about climate change really being serious, that we cannot change it anymore. We must adapt to it. And the way we can adapt to it is what you're talking about, building the kinds of communities in which we raise healthy food and take care of each other, uh, boost our immune systems rather than letting them be drained away. And in many cases, this will mean seeking higher ground and places where the water supply is, is relatively reliable. Uh, and then figuring out what green technologies can we build with the last of the fossil fuels we use in order to transport water where we need to, say in hydrogen dirigibles, my favorite, go to h2clipper.com to see what that's all about. And uh, there are, we have the wonderful inventions, we're a very creative species, and we have to figure out exactly how we can manage this transition as the, as the empire builders fail. And I think they will fail because they're entirely dependent on the digital internet connections. Uh, if your cell phone no longer works, and they're telling us that the next pandemic will be cyber, cyber attacks. They, these things are being done out in the open. These are not hidden agendas, but people don't look for them if they're simply watching whatever their news feed is, you know, from mainstream media. Right. So this also brings up a, um, I think, a, a really important piece, uh, just circling back to the indigenous and 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 the spirituality, this ancient spiritual wisdoms is, is really this idea of communion with nature. And so we're here talking about cyber attacks and, and the empire empire building that that's moving in one direction but we have this innate capacity to commune with nature and and you say commune with nature rather than communication which is with words that we literally can develop this relationship with nature around us and communicate and i'm wondering how that fits into this time of radical change if we can put down the technology or use it with like the full keyboard like you said it's like our relationship with earth is just as important as this evolutionary driver of technology shifting things can you talk about this communion versus communication absolutely i'm glad that you brought it up and and it is on the keyboard you see because uh uh the trends the um the transmission of information goes on throughout the whole keyboard, whether it's up in the non-physical or in the physical where we developed languages and and uh, sign languages, dance languages, 
uh, I love the, the metaphor of evolution as dance because uh, dance is the only art form in which the, the, um, the author and the performer are one, right? The, the uh, performance is the performer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, we communion means the direct transmission of information, which I do with trees and, you know, acknowledge the trees. You're all walking by them almost every day, even when you live in cities and you don't acknowledge their presence, their, uh, their fellow beingness. Uh, and that's the communion, you see. You don't have to speak to them out loud, although if you do, you're transferring a little bit of carbon dioxide, which they need to live, and in turn for the oxygen that they are giving you, which is why Native people say, sing to a tree, right? They don't know, they don't uh, analyze it in our Western scientific terms, but that's it. It's the animals and plants evolved to share their uh, their carbon dioxide and their oxygen. Uh, among other things. So when we when we understand that we are that embedded within nature, that we are all fellow beings, that a tree can have, uh, we've even our physical instruments have measured not only our own five senses, but at least a dozen more with measurable physical instruments that trees have. So trees are, are you could say they were superior beings if you wanted to rank hierarchically. They've been around longer, they've had longer time to evolve and they have their their sight cap capability all over their bodies not in a pair of eyes right and so they feel and see and touch and smell and all those things and sense all these other uh, frequencies that we don't normally recognize ourselves even if our own bodies are doing these things we as individuals who have been taught a certain kind of consciousness uh, have have denied ourselves these abilities. So this is all very important because until we see ourselves as an integral, loving, caring, sharing member of the whole community of life, we won't know what to do. And once we do get that, we feel supported by life the way all indigenous people were supported by, by nature. When the Europeans came over, they couldn't believe the, the, the number of fish in every stream and the fruits hanging off the trees and things because the native peoples had been caring for all of their fellow beings uh, and not having this exploitative view. By the way, there's, a, there's an interesting book called The Dawn of Everything, which begins with uh, how the, the um, native people in North America were in close contact for long periods of time with those who came over from Europe other than as conquistadors, you know, they were coming over to trade furs and and to uh, uh, missionize people. And so they had to be with each other for long periods of time and learned each other's languages and had long conversations. And essentially the Native Americans were saying to the Europeans, who are you people? What kind of culture do you come from? You don't bathe and you you take things away from, from us that we'd happily give you. You even take them away from each other. And like, what kind of culture do you come from? And some of this information through the missionaries got back to Europe and had a strong influence on what we know as the European Enlightenment, 
where people like Rousseau, for instance, were reading these conversations and developing this maybe overblown romanticizing of indigenous cultures. But this, this is a whole interesting influence of indigenous people on Western thought that's been buried. And so I'm rambling a bit here, Julie, but I keep Oh, I love it. You can ramble all you want. Elizabeth, you, you bring in this element. I just want to just thank you for not not holding the science on one end of the piano without playing the keys of the spirituality on the other end. You play the entire keyboard, and I know you're trusting that there's infinity going both ways. You're you're literally a living example, a living embodiment of this more cosmic consciousness of being able to play the piano in both directions. So thank you for bringing that wisdom and that the knowledge of the scientist to the wisdom of the spiritual mystic that you you are. I'm wondering if you have a radical audacious vision of the next turn on our evolutionary spiral. If you could just say the best of the best, what do you see for humanity? Well, the best of the best is when uh, so many people get so enamored of building caring and sharing communities, so enamored of eating, you know, the healthiest possible food, building their immune system, making friends with their microbial world, knowing that we're dependent on it, rather than moving out of the fear mode. Then And the keyboard helps you get out of that fear mode because you see that you're always in the now and that you're always an infinite being and that you are having this one, one of possibly very many sojourns on the earth as, uh, as uh, a physical being in the linear time that we have to use in the physical part of the keyboard. So uh, I see us as building more and more of these communities. We already have uh, the global Echo Village network communing and communicating with each other around the planet. And we have such wonderful examples of the Mondragon community in Basque Spain and the Sarvadia movement in Sri Lanka. If you look these up, you'll see that people have been building right in the middle of the caterpillar phase They've been building these caring and sharing communities. The Findhorn Foundation, of which I'm a fellow in Scotland. Uh, the, the, what's this? This one in, in Italy, the one that made all the beautiful caves underground. Um, the, there are, these are all inspirational ways of, of looking at how do you want to live the future? How will you bring your children, your grandchildren, in my case, I have uh, now six great-grandchildren, uh, can they get to live in such communities where you build? And so we start, have to, the way to create the future is to live it, to live now as though you were already in the future, treating each other as though you were in that beautiful uh, future already, eating the food you want people to eat in that future, you know, making all of these possible things possible within the means that we have now, that I see is a way of adapting to a world that will be about as many degrees hotter as what we call normal, and an ice age would have been about as many colder, 
we will still have places on the earth where humanity will survive. So count yourself among the survivors, build community every way you can from where you are right now by living as a future being, and then it will come to be. Mm. As a future being, one of the messages in our moment of choice was um, when you were you were writing a letter to your great granddaughter, and you were telling her how angry you were during the Vietnam War, and the Bengali poet who wrote the line somewhere, the tears and the agony are stored in the chest of thunder, and you were inspired to remember that you could transmute anger into a useful, positive action, a, a peaceful action, and here you're inviting all of us. To, to build this world toward the the better here. What what will you share with our listeners today that's the primary call to action as we're all trying to transmute fear and anger and you know there's just so much emotion right now. What is that call to action? The call to action is the call to live as the way you want people to live in the future. The more you live like you want future beings to live, I think, the better. And so the action call is connect with each other when you have been so disconnected now. So it's a whole new opportunity to reconnect with each other and to be more appreciative of the caring, sharing community, less focused on the horrors that are going on. In the midst of war, in the midst of climate change, we are always supported by nature itself, by the glorious conscious cosmos that we're part of. For me personally, I had lost my mobility in my hips. I couldn't stand up on my own and walk properly anymore. And I had a metaphor of being crushed under the weight of the earth like Atlas. And now I have shifted that image to one of turning that earth that I felt was crushing me into a hot air balloon that lifts me instead. And all of us can get, when we feel like we're at the bottom of a dark well, lift your consciousness. You can do that with your consciousness. You can lift it above so that you get a perspective on this whole evolutionary play, on the messiness, on the agony, on the pain, on all of those things that you see happening on the earth. And look for the places where you can move ahead through doing something that you love, whether you're a poet or a gardener or a uh, a, a computer technician or whatever, there is a way for, for everybody to find their own song, find their own dance and work together with each other in community. We have a responsibility, not just to ourselves, but to our fellow beings, whether they're human or not. And the the, the glory of that, the the beauty of the connectedness, the happiness that you get from being within family, right? We're mm -hmm. all family, as the uh, Lakota say. Uh, how's it? Mikatum. Oh, now I can't say it in in Lakota anymore. But it, it it's the Inlakeshalakin of the Mayans. It's the I am another you. 
we reflect each other. We are all gems within Indra's net, reflecting the whole universe and building it together. Happily, find joy in the midst of the sorrow and anguish and agony. Whether you're giving clothes away to a Ukrainian immigrant or whatever you're doing now, you know, just take joy in your ability that you do have something to give and you will receive as you give. Beautiful last words, beautiful call to action. In the midst of climate change and war, we are supported. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Satoris, this has been just a, a delight to have this conversation with you to really elevate the conversation and bring this out and um, just feel really honored as this our moment of choice goes to paperback it's now available you know go out there look it up you can find it everywhere our moment of choice it is um, really a inspiring message that through these breakdowns we are supported and we, we can move forward. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Julie, and aloha to everyone. Uh, to all my fellow evolutionary leaders and co-authors and to the whole world of our outreach and way beyond to all of humanity, may we dwell in peace and harmony. Beautiful. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for joining us as well. I want to leave you with some of Elizabeth's words of hope as she writes to her great-granddaughter in the book, Our Moment of Choice. She writes, I do not see the universe as a downhill energy slide from a big bang to no-thingness, nor life on Earth as doomed to endless competition and scarcity. These are both just stories scientists have told us as have told as we tried to understand the world as if it were nothing but matter. But we are not bodies with minds and spirits somehow emanating from them. We are all those at once, body, mind, spirit. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.